All right. Well, thanks for coming back. This is week nine. So we have uh, tonight, and then we have two more weeks together, and then we are done Theology 101. So, uh, so, so far, this, some of the stuff we've looked at, if you are uh, new tonight, I mean, we've talked about the attributes of God, uh, we've talked about the Trinity, uh, we went over what spiritual beings are, angels, demons, we've talked about creation, sin, the person of Jesus. Uh, last week, Corlin talked about the atonement, uh, like the, what was the work that Jesus did on, on the cross specifically. And so tonight, we are going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And uh, a couple of questions that I kind of want to answer really is, well, who is the Holy Spirit and what does he do? And we'll get a little bit into it, if we have time at the end, into some specifics, discussion around spiritual gifts and things like that, because um, that discussion is always interesting. It, like, what is prophecy? What is speaking in tongues? What is all that kind of stuff? So if we have time, we'll get into that. So um, I'm going to start by reading a quote, and I want you to uh, react to this quote, whether you agree or disagree. So this is a quote by a guy named Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he was... Uh, a pastor a while ago, uh, and so he says this, generally speaking, the position today is that the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is either neglected or it tends to be emphasized and exaggerated in a false manner. And I have no doubt at all that the second is partly because of the first. The doctrine of the Holy Spirit is ne neglected because people are so afraid of the spurious, the false, and the exaggerated that they avoid it altogether. I don't know, what do you think? Do you agree? Disagree? Uh, yep. Yeah! <laughs> it <feels> like, yep. <laughs> like, basically what he's saying is that most people fall into one of two camps. Either we just kind of avoid talking about the Holy Spirit, it seems that whole discussion seems maybe weird and uncomfortable, or on the other side is that we overemphasize and exaggerate and then you get into some maybe not even biblical practices and I, I, I resonate with that quote because that, that's kind of been my story growing up it was just kind of like that stuff is weird so I'm going to go like the exact opposite and not talk about the Holy Spirit at all right like so throw the baby out of the bathwater because of, of, of the abuses that you see um, I don't know other people want to weigh in on that like would you agree with that? Besides Phil, yes. <laughs> um, have you have you seen good doctrine of the Holy Spirit, good practice, or have you seen abuses of stuff, or, or what do you think? I think I've usually seen it as like there's the Father, the Son, and oh yeah, there's the Holy Spirit too. <laughs> sure. Yeah, more so on the neglected side, more than anything. It's more kind of forgotten. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Well, it always plays sort of a passive role. I feel sometimes, and the Holy Spirit plays a passive role. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting. Like when you talk about the Holy Spirit, I I agree that I think the Holy Spirit does seem to get forgotten, or maybe we don't understand Him all that well. And one of the difficulties I think is that when you think about the Trinity, we have God the Father, and for most of us, the idea of the Father. Is a lot is easy to wrap our minds around, right? Because I mean, we all have human fathers, or we did if, if yours has, has passed on or whatever. But uh, and for a good majority of us, I would guess we have a decent relationship with our fathers. So 
the whole idea of God being Father is a little bit easier for us to kind of wrap our minds around. Um, when you think about God the Son, so Jesus, um, he literally came in human form. Jesus was observed and reported on. I mean, we have firsthand accounts in Scripture. We have four Gospels that uh, give this uh, whole life story of Jesus. And so it, it can be easier to wrap our minds around who Jesus is. And then we have God the Spirit, and it can and he can seem kind of intangible, and it's kind of difficult to, for us to visualize. I mean, we have a couple, you know, in Matthew, at Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit appears like a dove, and you're kind of like, well, he's not really a dove, but he appeared like that. Like, So I, I think there's something to that where it's just kind of hard for us to wrap our minds a little bit around who the, the Holy Spirit is. Um, so a couple of things, and then we'll dive into what the Holy Spirit does, but um, the Holy Spirit is called different names in the Bible. Um, he's called the Spirit of God, the Spirit of your Father. He's called the Spirit of Christ. He's called the Spirit of Jesus. Um, he's called, most often, the Holy Spirit. He's called the Spirit of Holiness, the Holy One, the Eternal Spirit, the Spirit of Life, the Spirit of Truth. He's called the Comforter. Uh, if you have a King James, he's called the Holy Ghost, which I think doesn't help like our understanding because we're like, what is a ghost? Like, and we all think of the bed sheet, right? Like, and it's like, I think that's a bad translation because in our day and age, ghost means something different than in old English. Uh, but he's, he's called all sorts of things. Uh, all sorts of titles are given to him uh, in the Bible. So right out of the gate, uh, it's really important for us to understand that the Holy Spirit is a person. Uh, he is the third member of the Trinity. He's not an impersonal force or an it, right? Uh, I think lots of times we can view, oh yeah, well, the Holy Spirit, I don't know if you've seen Star Wars and the Force, and you can kind of like activate the Force or whatever. I think some Christians view the Holy Spirit like that. He, he's just kind of like this force that exists. And we, I've even heard Christians just talk about the Holy Spirit like an it. Oh yeah, it, the Holy Spirit. And it's like, no, the Holy Spirit is a person. Uh, he possesses all of the qualities and attributes of God. And it's interesting, the Bible uses masculine pronouns in talking about and representing the Holy Spirit. It's, it's always in a masculine uh, pronouns, whatever you want to say. Uh, it's always he, it's never an it. Uh, so I'll give you one example. Uh, in Acts 5, verses 3 and 4, if you remember, this was in the early church when people would sell their property and then bring the money and say, hey, this is from the church to distribute. And if you remember Ananias and Sapphira, right, they uh, lied and they held back some of the money. And so this is what Peter says. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, it did not remain your own, and after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you've contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to men, but to God. So Peter says, Ananias, you lied to the Holy Spirit, and then he says, you haven't lied to men, you've lied to God. So what he's doing is he's calling the Holy Spirit God. He's not an impersonal force, he's not just like a, you know, an it. He's saying, no, you've lied to God. The Holy Spirit is God. So that's really important for us to remember as we talk about uh, who the Holy Spirit is, right? If you remember our, again, it's just a diagram, but if you remember our diagram of who God is as the Trinity, 
right? He's three persons in one being. And so he's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is fully God. Um, that, that's really important as we talk about him. So here would be a definition that I would give for what the Holy Spirit does. The work of the Holy Spirit is to manifest the active presence of God in the world, and especially in the church. So like, what is the Holy Spirit's job? The Holy Spirit, the, the work that he does mainly is to manifest the active presence of God in the world, and then especially in the church. And then I would say, since the ascension of Jesus, so since Jesus returned to heaven, the Holy Spirit is the primary way that God manifests himself in the world. Um, you know, it's not, some people do have uh, encounters with uh, Jesus, right? They'll, they'll either have a dream or they'll have whatever. But I would say the primary way that God interacts in the world today is through the Holy Spirit. So we want to look at kind of, uh, four aspects of what he does. Um, he empowers us, he purifies us, um, he reveals God to us, we'll get into a few different ways, and then he unifies us. So we just, we just kind of want to go one by one through those four things of what the Spirit does. So number one, empowerment, or he empowers us. Uh, I mean this both physically and spiritually. So the Holy Spirit... Uh, is involved in creation, and he's the one that gives life physically. Um, Genesis 1-2, if you remember all the way back in the beginning, uh, the creation account, it says this, the earth was without form and void, then darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So there you have uh, the Holy Spirit present in the beginning, uh, and he's active in creation. Um, in Job 26, 13, it says, by his wind the heavens were made fair, his hand pierced the fleeing serpent. And you might go, well, wait a second, the Holy Spirit's not mentioned there. But uh, it's really interesting in the Hebrew language, the word for spirit uh, is what? Orlando in Hebrew. Ruach. Ruach. And that word also means wind. And uh, oftentimes the Holy Spirit is described, I shouldn't say often, sometimes the Holy Spirit is described as oh, the wind, or God's wind, or uh, it'll say His wind, like the wind of God, and it's talking about the Spirit of God. So, in Job 26 it says, by His wind, by His Spirit, the heavens were made. Um, Job 34, 14 and 15, it says, If he, God, should set his heart to it and gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together, and man would return to dust. So it's an interesting idea that if God said, uh, I'm actually going to withdraw my Holy Spirit from everything, then everything would cease to exist. Right? Like we are actually kept alive by God. Um, Psalm 104.30, it says, When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. Um, Isaiah 32.14 says, For the palace is forsaken, the populous city deserted, the hill and the watchtower will become dense forever, a joy of wild donkey, a pasture of flocks, until the spirit is poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is deemed a forest. So it's this picture of, okay, there's devastation and 
there's chaos, and there's just barrenness until the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is poured out, and then He brings what? He brings life. So I, I believe the Bible shows us that the Holy Spirit brings physical life, um, but also the Holy Spirit is involved and is needed to give us life spiritually. Um, a couple of spots that say that. Um, John 3, 6 and 7, it says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. So Jesus is having a conversation with a guy named Nicodemus. And if you remember, he says, I am born again. And the guy's like, what? What are you talking about? I have to go back inside my mother's womb and be born a second time? Like, this makes no sense. And Jesus is talking about being uh, awakened spiritually. And it's, and it's what? It's born of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the one that wakes you up spiritually. Um, 2 Corinthians 3.6, it says, who has, made us, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit? For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So the idea that uh, this new covenant in Jesus' blood is brought about by the Spirit of God, not by the law. Um, two more, and then we'll pause for a second. Titus 3, 5. He saved us, this is God saving us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And then Romans 8, 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So you see, like part of the Spirit's work is that He gives life um, physically and spiritually. Um, any thoughts or questions about that? Um, we're going to talk a little bit more about the Spirit's work in our salvation next week. Um, because we're going to talk about uh, redemption and how God saves us and the whole process of that and the Spirit's work in that. So we won't really go any farther uh, on that vein tonight. Uh, but I don't know, any thoughts or questions? Okay, I'll keep going then. So the Spirit also empowers people. When you think about, like, He empowers life. He gives us life. Um, he also empowers people for service. So it's, I love this. In the Old Testament, you see the Holy Spirit give people specific skills so that they can carry out uh, what God's called them to do. Um, in Exodus 31, um, they're talking about building the tabernacle, and God's giving all these plans to Moses of how they're going to build it. And then God says this to Moses, See, I've called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, bronze, cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood, to work in every craft. So God tells Moses, uh, I, I've chosen Bezalel, and I filled him with the Spirit of God, so that he can do all of these design things. Right? Isn't that amazing that now he can do artistic designs, work in gold, silver, and bronze, and I have filled him with my spirit to go and do that. Uh, even in Genesis, talking about uh, 
Pharaoh and Joseph. Like Joseph uh, interprets Pharaoh's dream, if you remember that. He says there's, there's going to be a famine. Here's what you should do. And it says uh, this in Genesis 41. Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? So what they saw was Joseph was really wise and he gave good advice. And they said, okay, it's got to be the spirit of God in this man. Right? The spirit of God was uh, empowering Joseph to uh, be in Pharaoh's service. Um, even in Zechariah 4, 6, it says, Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So if you know who Zerubbabel was, he was the governor uh, who was one of the people in charge of rebuilding the temple. And so God says to Zerubbabel, um, it's not going to be by might or power, so you're going to finish this and accomplish it because of my spirit. Right? The Spirit of God was empowering Zerubbabel to finish the job. Um, also, you see people empowered to prophesy in the Old Testament. Um, Ezekiel 2.2, it says, As he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. So Ezekiel said, like, the Spirit of God entered into me, whatever this means, right? Picked me up, put me on my feet, and then I heard him speaking to me, and then what did the prophets do? Then they spoke what God wanted them to speak. Um, even in 1 Samuel 10, Saul was told that this is going to happen to him. The Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. And then it happened. When they came to Gibeah, the whole group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied. So that uh, any time in the Old Testament when you read about the prophets and they say, right, thus says the Lord, it's because the Spirit of God is in them, empowering them to speak on behalf of God. I mean, and then we could just look at so many examples. I mean, you read the book of Judges, and oftentimes it'll use language like the Spirit of the Lord came upon, you know, Othniel or Gideon or Samson, and the Spirit of God come upon someone so that they could carry out a specific task, and then the Spirit of God would leave that person. Right? And so that happened often throughout the Old Testament. Uh, and then you get to the New Testament, and you see a similar thing. The Spirit of God comes and anoints and empowers Jesus specifically. Right? Matthew 3, at Jesus' baptism, uh, we kind of mentioned it. Jesus comes up from the water, it says, The heavens were opened, and the Spirit of God descending like a dove and, and came to rest on Jesus. And then in Luke 4, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, right? He's been empowered, anointed. It says, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And then later on, it says, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report went out through all the surrounding country. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. So you see Jesus in a really unique way is empowered by the Spirit. You see it in his temptation, in his teaching, him casting out demons, all of these ways that Jesus is filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then you see the disciples of Jesus too. Um, Jesus says to them in Acts 1.8 that they are, uh, you, or rather you will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And then if you know Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes in power, and they all 
they share the gospel in all of these different languages. And, um, and, and then we won't read them all, but I mean, it's on your sheet. In Acts 6, uh, it says, Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit, and he did great signs and wonders among the people. In Acts 4, it says, Peter was filled with the Spirit. And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered was, sh was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. So, I mean, you see, all of the Bible, all the Spirit, one of the main things that he does is that he comes and he empowers people. Um, in the Old Testament, it wasn't a, a permanent thing. The Spirit would come, and, you know, I'm going to rest upon Elijah for a little bit, and then I'm going to I'm going to leave, and I'm going to come, and uh, I'm going to fill Samson so that he can do his job, and then I'm going to leave. And then you get to the New Testament, and the believers of Jesus are filled with the Spirit permanently, right? They're, they're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And then you read the book of Acts, and they, they preach with power, and they, they do all these amazing things because the Spirit of God is the one empowering them. I don't know, any... Thoughts, feedback, interaction? It's interesting that, like you say, Jesus was empowered. Why did he need to be empowered? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that's a good question. Why did Jesus need to be empowered? I don't think he needed to be empowered. Yeah, you, you know what I mean. I know what I mean. Why, why was he... Why did say he was empowered by the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Um, what do you think, Phil? I don't know. <laughs> I don't usually ask questions. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know thoughts about that because, I mean, it's, it's pretty clear. But like we talked two weeks ago, that it's not as if Jesus was just a man that couldn't do anything and he needed the Holy Spirit. Uh, which are some false views about Jesus, right? We talked about, oh, he was just a man in right relationship with God, empowered by the Spirit. We go, well, no, he wasn't just a man. Um, he's fully God. Um, and yet you see language like that, right? That he, the Holy Spirit comes, and it says that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit. I don't know. Thoughts? Well, if Jesus is supposed to be the high priest... And he's supposed to be the example to us. He's supposed to be the one who leads the way. He, we wouldn't be able to do it without the Holy Spirit. So totally. he's just proving that it could be done. Yeah, I think there's a, an element of that. Like Jesus is our model and example. Uh, I think, yeah, you're on to something there. Well, and then he kind of gave the Spirit to his disciples. Yeah. But before before he was crucified, yeah, he sent them out and empowered them. He did, so yeah. It was kind of significant. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it also kind of raised the question that if Jesus is God, why would he create the Father? Yeah. Yeah, it's totally true. We're not going to talk about that today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dad. Yeah, Dad. It, it's, it is a, it's interesting to think through the persons of the Trinity, uh, especially with stuff like this, because it's like, okay, so Jesus was empowered and anointed by the Holy Spirit, but he's God, so he was anointed by himself. And the answer is no, he wasn't. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit. And we go, but there's only one God. Yeah, but there's three persons, right? So 
it can get brain pretzel <laughs> real fast. I wonder with Phil's question there, if there's, because in Philippians it does talk about Jesus emptying himself. Mm -hmm. And there's some mystery there because we don't know what that means exactly. We don't know what extent the self limitation was. Yeah, we, we touched on that two weeks ago. That uh, I, yeah, there's debate right there, the whole kenosis theory, if you remember that, that Jesus emptied himself of subdivinity, or he laid aside some of his attributes of God. But I think the issue with that is if he did lay aside, then his death doesn't mean anything because he had to be fully God in order to redeem us. So I think when Paul talks about Philippians that, uh, that Jesus made himself nothing, because um, it actually, you know, depending on which translation you read, or, or emptied himself, um, I actually think it's, uh, he, he made himself nothing. It's, the whole passage is about humility. So my, my understanding is Jesus making himself nothing or emptying himself is him putting on human flesh. That, like, that in humility, he would step down from his throne and become man to save us. I don't think it's talking about a laying aside of his divinity. Um, because then, yeah, you get into all sorts of, like, problems with that. Oh, man, if he's not fully God, then how could he save us? Like, so there, I think there is a mystery to Jesus walks in step with the Spirit uh, throughout his earthly ministry. Maybe it was, I'll be left, I was going to say, maybe it was uh, to be an example to us, to show us how to walk with the Spirit. Um, yeah. Uh, a couple more ways that the Spirit empowers us uh, is through spiritual gifts. And we're going to come back to this at the end, but you read in 1 Corinthians 12, it says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So the Holy Spirit empowers followers of Jesus by giving us um, spiritual gifts. Um, also, the Holy Spirit empowers us in our prayer. Um, Romans 8 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Uh, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And then Ephesians 2.18, For through Him we, have, we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. And then the Holy Spirit empowers us to overcome spiritual opposition. Um, you read an example in Acts 13. Uh, it says, Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. And this guy was like a a magician, basically. Uh, and he says, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight path of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you'll be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And it says, Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. And then in Ephesians 6, it says, talking about spiritual warfare, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So the Holy Spirit empowers us in spiritual warfare, in battle, right? Um, so I mean, I, I think you can see, this is a major part of what the Holy Spirit does. This is, 
one of the main uh, works that he does is he empowers us uh, physically, spiritually, with spiritual gifts, through prayer. Like He uh, gives us power. He empowers us. Um, any thoughts before we move on to the next one? All right. The Holy Spirit purifies us. Um, this could also be called sanctification, right? Becoming more and more like Jesus. And you see that one of the uh, one of the works that the Holy Spirit does in us is that uh, He purifies us. So First Corinthians six eleven says, uh, before this, uh, Paul has listed a whole bunch of different sins and different types of people, right? Those who are greedy and idolaters and blah, blah, blah. And then he says, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So the Spirit of God was the one who came and washed these people, right? It's this uh, imagery of being purified, washed, uh, washed clean. Um, even in Galatians 5, talking about what the Spirit does in our life. It says the fruit of the Spirit, so the, the what you should see in your life as the Spirit works on you is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So the Holy Spirit uh, purifies us by making us more loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and kind and all of those things. Um, 2 Corinthians 3, Paul says, you know, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So Paul talks about this change that happens over your life, sometimes it's like from one degree to the next, these tiny incremental changes, but he says it's, that comes from God who is the Spirit. Um, the Spirit of God is the one that changes you over time. And then in 2 Thessalonians 2, it says, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So, I mean, there's lots of other passages uh, about sanctification, but I think you, you get the idea that uh, not only does the Spirit empower us, to do ministry and gives us life. But then, as you follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit then does this work of purifying you. And oftentimes it's painful, right? Because the Holy Spirit points out sin in your life and areas that you need to work on. And then he kind of like chisels away and he, he sanctifies us, purifies us, he washes us clean. This is a major uh, part of the work that he does. I don't know, thoughts about that? About how the Spirit purifies us? Have you seen that in your own life? Feels <laughs> like, oh yeah. <laughs> we were talking about sanctification. I didn't know you were bringing up my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Does the Holy Spirit use her to say yes. <laughs> Yeah, totally. <laughs> Mine too. And vice versa. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right, thirdly, 
we don't need to belabor that. There's no questions. And we're going to get more into sanctification next week as well, because sanctification is a part of our salvation, and we're going to talk about you know, more in depth about what exactly does sanctification look like. So the third thing the Spirit does is that He, he reveals things to us. Um, he reveals uh, the, 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 the uh, most major way He does that is through Scripture. Uh, the Holy Spirit speaks to us through the Word of God. Uh, and we're told in Scripture that the Holy Spirit um, guided the process of Scripture being written and recorded and kept. Um, so even an example in Ezekiel 11, right, here's a prophet, it says, The Spirit of the Lord fell upon me, and he said to me, Say, thus says the Lord, so you think, O house of Israel, and it kind of goes on to this prophecy. So it wasn't just Ezekiel who stood up and was like, Hey, I think I got a message for you guys, right? Or like, it wasn't just some idea that Ezekiel had. Ezekiel tells us that the Spirit of God came upon him and it was God himself that said, Hey, Ezekiel, I want you to say this. Right? And then it's recorded for us. Um, Zechariah uh, 7, verse 12 says, They made their hearts, this is the people of God, or the Israelites, they made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his Spirit through the former prophets. So, the Spirit of God revealed, right, what God wanted to say, and how the Spirit did that was through the prophets, right? The, the Spirit would come upon the prophet and say, hey, say this to, to the Israelites. Um, and then even in 2 Peter 1, Peter says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So that's really important, right? No, nothing, basically what Peter's saying is nothing in the Bible uh, comes from just someone's own idea, someone's own interpretation. Hey, you know what would be really good to include in the Bible? So I'm just going to write this. Uh, Peter says it, it wasn't produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't think that means that men who were writing the Bible, like, fell into a trance and the Holy Spirit moved their arm. I don't think that that's what happened. I think what, what Peter is saying is that the Spirit of God guided the process um, so that these are the very words of God. It's not just, you know, Paul's nice letters to the churches. God uh, carried that whole process along. So the Holy Spirit reveals stuff to us through the Word. And then the, the Holy Spirit is meant to give evidence throughout Scripture we see. The Holy Spirit gives evidence of God's presence with His people. Um, if you read in uh, a couple of spots, Numbers 11, it says, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the Spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. That's an interesting concept. The Spirit can be kind of like split up and portioned out. Well, we won't go there. Uh, and it says that as soon as the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. So here's an example. Like the Spirit of God was meant to show, okay, God's presence is with Moses, and now he's 70 elders. 
Um, even in Acts 2, if you remember Pentecost, it says, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. So this was an evidence, right? The Holy Spirit was an evidence that, okay, God is with these people, right? They're speaking in languages they don't know, tongues of fire are above their heads. Like, it was a visible uh, manifestation of God's presence, um, Hebrews 2 4, it says, Well, God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So, how did God bear witness uh, about himself? Well, through the Spirit of God. Um, Paul in 1 Corinthians 2 4 says, When he came to, to, to preach, he says, And my speech and message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit. And of power. So when Paul preached, people could tell, okay, the Spirit of God is with him, because look at what kind of power he he has. So uh, that's one of the ways, uh, or one of the things that the Holy Spirit reveals to us, he reveals God's presence to us. He shows us, it's like this, this manifestation of God's presence with us. Um, the, the Holy Spirit reveals God to us by guiding and directing us. Sometimes like literally, physically, uh, if you remember Acts 8, uh, the Spirit comes to Philip and says, go over to that chariot. <laughs> it's like pretty direct. Like, I want you to go over there. And Philip goes over there. Uh, Acts 10 says, Peter is thinking about this vision that he's had, and the Spirit says, three men are looking for you. Go with them, for I have sent them. So there is like direct guidance from the Spirit of God. He tells Peter, uh, go with those guys. Uh, in Acts 13, it says that while they were worshiping and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I've called them to. So again, like direct guidance from the Spirit. He says, hey, guys, I want you to set aside Barnabas and Saul to send them out. So there's like all, there's very, uh, very cool examples of very specific guidance that the, uh, that the Holy Spirit gives. Like, I want you to go over there. Philip, go to that territory. But then also there's um, the Spirit just guiding us in day-to-day -day things. Maybe not specific like, you should go over there to that city and live there, or you should go and take that job. Um, the Bible talks about us just daily walking in step with the Spirit. Um, Romans 8 says, In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And then Galatians 5 says a similar thing. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So there's this idea of Christians were meant to uh, be guided by the Spirit, just kind of in the day-in, day-out stuff of our lives. Uh, the Holy Spirit also reveals uh, God by teaching and illuminating scripture for us. So like when we, that's why we say it's so important that as Christians we read our Bibles. Well, it's not because it's just a really good book. I mean, it is a really good book. But the reason we stress like you must be in the Word is because the Spirit of God teaches us through the Word of God. Um, uh, Jesus tells his disciples that a bunch. If you remember in John 14 through 16, Jesus says the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to teach you everything. He's going to remind you everything I taught you. Like, 
this idea of the Holy Spirit teaching us. Um, I don't know why I put 1 Timothy 4 there, so we'll kind of skip that, but 1 Corinthians 2.10, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Right, so I think one of the, the main way that the Spirit of God reveals things to us is through the Word. Right? He teaches us, uh, He, uh, I think, can purifies, sanctifies through um, the Word of God. Um, this is one of the main things that He does. He reveals things to us. I don't know, thoughts about that one? I think a lot of times like people want like a big revelation from the Holy Spirit. And it is like the little daily things that like if you test it to the word, if it lines up, then it could be something so small. Totally. Like, just in tune with that, of just like with the more you're open to seeing it and hearing it, then I feel the more you notice it in like the little ways, not necessarily huge ways all the time. Totally. Yeah, yeah I mean we I think we want the crazy, like, yeah. and then the skies opened and God was like over there, and they're like, whoa! <laughs> but you're right, like, I've had times, uh, I remember there was one specific one where a uh, dog who works here, I can't remember what he shared with me, but as I was leaving, he was like, oh, you know, I'm doing this tonight. It might have been counseling someone, can you just pray for me? And I was like, yeah, sure. And if you're like me, it's just like, you'll forget. But it was like, yeah, for sure. And then as I was walking out to the parking lot, um, it was just like this uh, overwhelming sense in my spirit of like, just go back inside and pray for him. You said you were going to, just go do it. And I just kind of went, okay, was that the Holy Spirit? Was that me? I don't know for sure, for sure. But I was like, it was a good thing. So I'm just going to assume that the Spirit probably wants me to pray for people. So I just went back in and was like, hey, can I just pray for you right now? And it ended up being a really good thing, but it's like those kind of normal, everyday things, I think, is what it means to walk by the Spirit, totally. Other thoughts? Questions? I think it's good, like, being reminded of the day-to-day, because I actually had an experience at one point in my life where God really worked in an area where it was like, hey, you need to pray for this person. Hmm. So the next day, like, it was it was a big thing in my life, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to pray and ask for this person. <coughs> uh, the next day, like, the situation she was in was completely different. So it was wow, crazy how God, cool. like, brought me along with that. Like, it's not like my prayers, like, it's not like if I hadn't done that, God wouldn't have worked. But at the same time, it actually, like, for a little while, it was almost difficult for me, because then I was like, oh, like, this happened last time. Like, yeah, I was just going to warm you up. So then it's like, no, it's the daily, like, Mm-hmm. Surrendering to God and being like, oh, I'm going to pray for this person. And like, no matter what happens, I'm thankful. Yeah, totally. That's good. We had one interesting thing. Uh, we, we had this friend who was having like a bad situation at work. And, uh, you know, he was just having, because she just moved to Canada. So she was having a bit of trouble just settling in. And one day we were like, we're in town. Let's say hi, you know, or, you know, stuff like that. We showed up, and she really needed us there, like, told him. Yeah, I think that probably was the spirit, like, leading you to do that, totally. Like, I've had, like, my, my mom is someone who I really admire, who I think walks really closely with the spirit. And it's nothing, like, if you met my mom, it's, there's nothing, like, like, about her at all. 
which is sometimes I think we have this idea that like spirit-filled people are like constantly healing everybody, and it's like not necessarily like. But my mom, it's amazing how often it's like she'll send a text or something of like, hey, I don't know why, but I just felt really like I needed to pray for you. And it's exactly at the moment of like, man, oh man, I needed prayer. Right? Like sometimes it's to the minute. I kid you not. Like, whoa. Or my mom will be like, hey, I was reading uh, in the Bible this morning, and for some reason I just felt like God wanted me to send you First Corinthians or whatever it is, right? And I'm like, man, that is exactly what I needed. So it can be these little things, right? Right, As you walk in step with the Spirit, um, I don't think it has to be these like insane things. It's It can be these little things that you do, right? As you just listen to the Spirit and spend time in the Word and obey the Spirit when He, maybe you feel like, okay, I think you're prompting me maybe to go do this or that or whatever. Yeah. And I think we mystique spirit for a conscience yeah all the time. Like, uh -huh. and I don't it's just just a random thought I have just this minute but does the Bible really talk much about a conscience like the way the way that we understand it like a, you know a voice in your head telling you you know you should do this or you should do that no. I know that unbelievers have consciences too. Right. But, yeah, not that I'm but I, I feel like a lot of the time we attribute that kind of knowing or a sense of prompting, whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. of, of something we should do or we shouldn't. And we say, well, that's my conscience. And mm. I wonder, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. When, when is it the conscience and when is it the Holy Spirit? Because I've had times where. Um, the same, say it could be a very similar situation. I was asked, or kind of like, it was suggested to me to lie to somebody at work about a big costly thing. Okay, wow. It would best be, let's try to make this all work out. And, I, <laughs> and, I, and I've been in that situation before, mm -hmm. and it was not, but this time it was just like, like I got like, uh, almost flushed like mm. and I was just on the phone like I wasn't even with the person yeah. but I just felt like this like wait like I can't do that mm -hmm. more than other times mm -hmm. and I, I felt like if I do the wrong thing here there's going to be a serious like something very real is I felt like there's something really it was at stake yeah, totally. In that decision, in that moment. And it's not like it would have been more wrong to lie then than another time, but it was just really like brought to my mind. Because sometimes those things happen really fast and you just react and you don't like don't really think about or understand what is happening here. What's the gravity of this? You, you know. Yeah. But that moment was just like fully aware of what was happening and like I need to not I need to make the right decision here. Yeah. That's and I don't think that in in that moment I don't I would not call that conscience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really good example. Yeah, it's interesting the idea of and, and we might get into this in a in a bit about spiritual gifts, but even just the idea of uh, walking with the spirit 
Because I think sometimes it's it's taught incorrectly, like we swing. So I've heard it said like, oh well, you know, this idea of you just have to like sit and like listen for a voice. And while their Bible is closed, I'm like, well, why don't you open your Bible and read it? Because God will speak to you through the Bible, right? Uh, or I heard it taught um, the idea of hearing God's voice is you just kind of close your eyes and the first thing that comes into your head, that's God speaking to you. I'm like, man, that's dangerous. Because some of the times the first things that come into my head is not good. Like, so I go, I don't think that's what the Bible means about walking with the Spirit. Just it's almost testing, like it, a little testing bit. God. Yeah. Like, so I think what you're talking about sometimes you just know in your spirit, okay, Lord, I think this is for you. Like, this is not just an idea in my head. Like, and I've never audibly heard God speak. Uh, I don't, and I think that's actually quite normal. Uh, I've never heard the voice of God audibly, and and yet um, God has spoken to me lots, specifically through His Word. And then times like stuff like that, where it's just kind of like, whoa, I think. I think God wants me to do this or that or whatever it is. Yeah. On the topic of the conscience, too, mm -hmm. I think uh, sometimes we can get carried away with false dichotomies that it's either the conscience or the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So sort of like with the Word, we're often tempted to think, well, that was the Word that spoke to me. And then some other time when it's not the exact wording of Scripture, that's the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. The Holy Spirit inspired the Word. So anything, anytime the Word speaks to us, it's the Holy Spirit too. But anyway, so our conscience might speak to us, but who gives us our conscience? Who hmm. acts or uses our conscience? The, the Holy Spirit convicts of sin and righteousness and so on. Right. But in Romans 2, uh, verse 14, it says, For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these, not having the law, are a law to themselves, and then they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. So that to me speaks of the conscience given by God to everyone, whether Jew or Gentile, saved or unsaved. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. All right, the last thing that we'll focus on and then we'll talk about some spiritual gifts is that the Spirit uh, unifies us. Uh, he unifies believers, specifically. Uh, in Joel chapter 2, there's this, Joel prophesied that, you know, there was a day coming when the Holy Spirit would fall onto a community of, of people. And then Acts 2 happened, and Peter says, hey, that's today, right? In Acts chapter 2, Peter actually quotes Joel chapter 2, it says, it's fulfilled right now in your midst, the day of Pentecost, the Spirit's given to the church. And one of the, the things that the Spirit of God does is he brings unity to the church. Uh, so a couple of passages, 2 Corinthians 13 says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Um, Philippians uh, two, it says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and one mind. First um, Corinthians 12 says, for in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all made to drink of one Spirit. And then lastly, Ephesians 2 says, In him you are also being 
built together into a dwelling place of God by the Spirit. Uh, so, I, I mean, you see a, a bunch of passages where one of the things the Spirit does is um, He unites uh, believers, right? We're baptized into one body. Uh, we're, we're called to participate in the one Spirit, right? The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. We're together being built um, into, uh, where was I just reading that? Uh, into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So all of these ideas of unity and fellowship with one another. I mean, the Spirit of God is the one that uh, does that specifically among believers. Um, that's why, I mean, it's so important to be connected to uh, a church, to a group of believers, because that's one of the things the Spirit does, right? He unifies us with other people. Um, I really think, right, there's there's some people who are like, well, uh, I love Jesus, I just hate the church, it's too messy, so I'm going to kind of like uh, do my own thing. I, I actually think that's not possible. Um, you, you must be with other believers, um, because that's, that's what the Holy Spirit does, right? He unites believers together. Whatever it might look like. It might be a small group Bible study or a small church. Like, it doesn't have to be a certain type of church. But the Spirit of God uh, unites believers together. So I wanted to unpack a little bit, with whatever time we have left, uh, about spiritual gifts. Because I think... Um, one, my opinion is that there's a lot of confusion around what I lovingly call the weird gifts. <laughs> if you can just humor me. Um, I think there's a lot of confusion and a lot of bad teaching about some of the uh, spiritual gifts. And this is one of, the, one of the main things that the Spirit does is He empowers us with gifts for the work of the mission of God, so we want to understand that. Um, it's interesting, when you look at the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was still at work. We know that. Um, but in general, as you read the Old Testament, it seems like there was less activity of the Holy Spirit. And what I mean by that, if you think about, okay, you know, effective evangelis evangelism of the nations, very uncommon in the Old Testament. Uh, there wasn't droves of people coming to know Yahweh. Uh, you think about casting out of demons. Very uncommon in the Old Testament, actually. You think about uh, miraculous healings. Very uncommon in the Old Testament. It happened, but not often. And so, like I said, in the Old Testament, the, the prophets kept talking about this future day. Right, whether it was Joel, Isaiah 32, Isaiah 44 talks about, okay, there's, this, there's going to be this future day where the Spirit of God is poured out onto everybody, right? Um, and then what you see is Jesus comes, and he comes in the fullness and power of the Holy Spirit. He accomplishes salvation. He ascends to heaven, and then he says, I'm going to send you now the Holy Spirit. We've talked about this, right? Acts 2, the Holy Spirit is given to the church to empower them. And then you see in the, in the New Testament, spiritual gifts are described, and uh, they're used to equip the church to carry out its ministry until Jesus returns. So, um, just off the top of your head, uh, name some spiritual gifts. We'll see what we can get. I'll just read the list in front of me. For me? <coughs> I'll just read the list right here. Oh, do I have to read the list? 
Never mind. <laughs> I did not realize that. Uh, <laughs> close your papers. <laughs> okay, so then never mind. Uh, let's just look at the lists. Um, so there's a, there's uh, six passages, depending on who you talk to, right? Uh, because there's there is some debate. Uh, so you read First Corinthians twelve twenty eight. It said it lists apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, healings, helps, administration, and tongues. Then you read Ephesians 4.11, and Paul says, God gave these gifts to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Uh, in 1 Peter 4, Peter just kind of uses two broad categories, whoever speaks, whoever serves. So you go, okay, speaking includes a lot of gifts, right? Um, serving includes a lot of gifts. Uh, Romans 12 talks about prophecy, serving, Teaching, encouraging, contributing, uh, leadership, and mercy as gifts. First uh, Corinthians twelve eight through ten talks about words of wisdom, words of knowledge, faith, uh, gifts of healing, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing spirits, tongues, or uh, interpretation of tongues. And then here's where the one that people debate, 1 Corinthians 7, uh, Paul lists both marriage and celibacy as a gift. My opinion is that he's not talking about the same type of spiritual gift. Uh, but I just threw it in there because there's some scholars that are like, no, marriage is a spiritual gift and being single is a spiritual gift. I, I think they are gifts from God, but we're talking about two different types of gifts. Um, so the, the whole point of all of that, right, uh, is that God gives the church, like look at the variety of gifts we have here. I mean, there's prophecy, there's teaching, there's healing, there's helps, there's administration, this is a spiritual <laughs> gift, right, which I'm like, you, if anyone knows Beth who works here, she has the spiritual gift of administration because she does stuff that I'm like, one, I would hate your job. Uh, and she loves it, and she's good at it, right? So it's like, clearly you have that kind of gift of just organizing and administrating things and making things happen and fit details and all that kind of stuff. But So that's a spiritual gift. Um, you have contributing, which means, I think, uh, not just, but includes financially, people who have the gift of just giving. I'm going to contribute because I want to. Leadership is called a spiritual gift. Mercy. Uh, just on, on all of this, these varieties of gifts. And uh, I think that God has done this, and, and well, I know God's done it, but one of the reasons is because a healthy church will have a great diversity of gifts, and it will lead to more unity and more spiritual fruit in, in the church. Um, Paul makes this great point, because if you think about it, if you, if you, imagine you went to a church where every single person had the gift of mercy. One, it would be a very merciful church, but you would never get anything done, right? Or imagine if you went to a church and every single person in the church, uh, I was trying to pick one, had the gift of administration. Oh, my goodness. That would be the worst, right? But uh, all of 1 Corinthians 12, I wanted to read a, a bigger chunk here, uh, verses 12 through 26. So if you have a Bible, you can turn it. I don't think it's on your paper. But Paul makes this exact point. Right? Because the church in Corinth, they were arguing about whose gifts were more important. Right? Well, I speak in tongues. I was like, 
well, I prophesy, well, I, I teach, I preach. And I love that this is what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, so right, he's saying your body, you have a whole bunch of different parts of your body, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Here's what gets funny. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. I mean, isn't that great? Like, think about the visual of that, right? If your body was just an eyeball, it's like, how would you hear anything? Right, right. Or if your body was literally just an ear, how would you smell anything? So Paul's whole point is, if if the church was just made up of everyone had the spiritual gift of evangelism, who would show mercy to people? Or if, if everyone in the church had the gift of prophecy, who would preach? So uh, I love that Paul is making the case. God gives this. Uh, amazing variety of spiritual gifts to his church uh, so that uh, we need each other to do ministry and it actually leads to more unity uh, and it furthers the kingdom, right? Um, I don't know, thoughts about that? I'd be interested to hear. I guess that's a good reminder that we don't need to have everyone the same as us. Yeah. Believe everything the same as us, or. Totally. I mean, you know. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. 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 No, that's good. Yeah, I think it's a good reminder that uh, we need each other, right? We need people who have different gifts than we do. Um, because that's how God designed it. Now, there, you know, these spiritual gifts that are listed, sometimes people say, like, oh, I think God's gifted me to play guitar, or blah, blah, blah. And that might be true. I don't think that's necessarily a spiritual gift that Paul's talking about. I think God can gift you to play soccer, play guitar, be a really good welder, or whatever. But I, spiritual gifts specifically are uh, these gifts that God gives the church to advance the gospel. So, yeah, you could argue, well, my guitar playing does that. But biblically speaking, those kind of gifts aren't included in the list of spiritual gifts. 
um, you can still be gifted by God in different areas. But um, every follower of Jesus, um, when you become a Christian and the Holy Spirit uh, fills you, you are given spiritual gifts. Now the question is like, how do you figure out what your gifts are? Do, I don't know, are people willing to share? Like, do you guys know what your spiritual gifts are? And as you follow Jesus, you're like, yeah, I know God's gifted me to X, Y, and Z. What? Humble writing. Humble writing. No, but here's the thing. I'll, I'll speak about that. Um, I, I, for a long time, thought about, like, I can't talk about what my spiritual gifts are because then it's me bragging. But, but it's not really. Like, it's actually, it give, if you do it in a way that's not prideful, you're giving glory to God because you're like, who else but God? I'm not picking on you, but you know what I mean? Yep. So when people ask me, like, what's your gift? Preaching is my gift, for sure. Like, God's totally gifted me. And that has nothing to do with me. Uh, and he could take it away in a minute if he wanted to, so it's like, <laughs> but uh, I used to be like, oh, well, I don't know what my gifts are. Maybe it's preaching. But I'm like, you don't have to be shy. Like, if God's gifted you, he's gifted you, right? So, um, but I get the tension, right, of like, I don't want to be braggy, like, oh, I'm pretty good at administration. <laughs> Whatever, right? <laughs> but I don't know. Have you uh, thought about that? Helps. Like, Helps is your gift? I think so. Yeah. My wife is, I would say about my wife, she's merciful. Mm -hmm. She, like, she sees things that are, like, a, and working as a teacher, she sees kids that are having a hard time and just about brings her to tears. Mm -hmm. comes home and doesn't know what. She, she was saying to me, she was working at the high school then, and there's this girl that had a really, really bad home life, and she's like, maybe we could have her live in our house. So I'm like, well, you know, that's a minor and uh, a girl and a, you know, sure, like, probably not, but she just has like a... You can see her heart. Well, it's like, she sees a problem and would do just about anything to yeah. help and yeah. fix it or make it better. Yeah. Or not, well, not even to make it better, just to like be there, like to mm. care for... People that are hurting. Yeah. Just, yeah. So why do you think helps is your gift? Do you just like being kind of behind I, the scenes doing stuff? I understand, like the mercy thing. I maybe like I understand, and I think we're all called to be that way. Yes, to totally. do those things. I am an extremely practical person. Yeah, and I'm like, people have troubles. Well, maybe if you know they have can get their tires swapped, they'd have one less trouble. Yeah, totally. Like, that, to me, I could do that all day. Like, yeah. And I, and I, it makes me, it energizes me and makes me happy and fulfilled and... Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because we're going to talk for a little bit about how do you figure out what your spiritual gifts are? And I've actually had people tell me, I don't think I have any spiritual gifts. And that's just not true. Uh, if you have the Spirit of God in you, if you're a follower of Jesus, He's given you gifts, right? And what you just said, I'm glad you brought it up, the idea of, um, not that, that it makes you happy, what was the one before that? That you... Energizes. It energizes you. Um, I think when you are using your spiritual gift, I've heard it described as, it's kind of like your sweet spot. It's like, man, I love 
doing that. It's not draining. It doesn't <coughs> like so. For instance, um, for me, when I preach, um, that like when when I'm actually doing it, I'm like, I love this. Right? It's my that's my sweet spot. Well, you can tell when you start yelling. At <laughs> <laughs> I raise my voice and I wave my arms around. Um, and people like, doesn't it doesn't it drain you? And like, aren't you nervous? I'm like, well, yeah, well, a little bit. But like, when when I preach, when you use your gift, it's like it's like you come alive when you're using it, right? So for you, it's like when you help people, it's like, man, I just it energizes me. I love doing that, right? So for me, uh, we're all called to help people as Christians. But for me, I do not get energized by helping people, right? I'm just like, yeah, I'll do it. But I'm like, Ugh, right? So that's where we would be different. Um, so I think that's one way. Um, another way that I think it's good to, but right, how many of you have done one of those spiritual gift tests? They can be helpful to a certain degree, but again, it's like someone designing questions to help you trying to figure out, like, I, I can't remember, but I remember doing tests and I would get top, rank top things and I'm like, I don't think that's my gift. <laughs> so they can be helpful. I think um, a, f a few different ways. Um, you can ask God. You can say, God, like, how have you gifted me? Where can I serve, God? Like, what, what would you have me do? Um, I think a huge other uh, thing that you can do is you can ask advice from other believers. Like, go to people who know you and say, what do you think my gifting is? Like, um, so I'll tell you, early on when I was in high school, I, uh, well, probably in grade 11 or 12, they needed a Sunday school teacher for, I think it was grade three or four boys. So I was like, sure. And I would make up my own lessons and I would teach them. And then there was a few people who were the parents of the kids. They, they kind of affirmed it in me. They said, Andrew, I think you're actually, you might be gifted in this. So I went, oh, I have never thought about that before. But it took other believers going, hey, we see something in you, right? Um, uh, even Corlin and I have talked like that. I'm like, Corlin, I think your gift is teaching. Like, you're just really good at unpacking ideas, and it's good, right? So that's that's someone else seeing and gifting in you. So if you're wondering, what are my spiritual gifts? A good idea might be to ask another believer. Go, where do you think I'm gifted? Like, do you see anything in me? Like, uh, I talk with Emily lots of times, and uh, they they have. She's got Sunday school teachers that she goes, man, like, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for all Sunday school teachers, but that person is so gifted in teaching, like, because she can, she can see it. Yes, I think another thing to remember with this too is like, sometimes we might not actually think that our gifting that other people see is accurate. So like, sure. I was told from a young age that people thought that I would teach. Like, many, many people came to my parents and to me and were like, you're going to be a teacher when you're older. And I hated them for it. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not kidding. Like, it was unhealthy how much I disliked the people that were going to teach people. I was like, no, absolutely not. Yeah. I had all these other things that I love to do and love to be a part of. Um, but it's interesting is because I never gave it a chance either. I never actually, like, really wise older people were seeing this in me, and I was like, nope, absolutely not. It was only after I actually started trying some of those things that I started recognizing, mm -hmm. like, oh, this this is like that sweet spot where I, I love it. So even though, yeah, I still love other things, yeah, I actually had to get out there to, like, experience it. So if you haven't done that, I'd encourage that, too, is to actually step into roles that encourage you to try different things. Yes. Yeah. That's going to be my next one, to, just to try stuff. 
in the church to go, okay, I don't know what my gifts are. Maybe I'll try teaching. And then I, I, I know people that have tried it. They're like, yeah, it's not my gift. <laughs> uh, uh, even, so the, I'll, I'll use you an example again. Like, Corlin has preached a few times. And um, it's not like he's done, he's never done a bad job. But we had a conversation and he, and he just went, I just don't think it's my gift. Like, I could do it. But it wasn't the like, I come alive and yes. I love doing it. It was just kind of like, I just don't think it's my, Colin said, uh, teaching, like in a, this kind of setting, is I feel more, way more than it's my gift. And I agreed with him. I'm like, yeah, I think you're right. So when you tried something, right, and you just went and went, you tried it a few times, because I made you. And so I think it's good. I don't think that we can always know the first time no, we try something. No. It was probably the third or fourth time when you just, we had that conversation of like, I just don't know if this is actually my gift. Yeah, it was like, yeah, fair enough. So to, tr to try different areas of ministry is really healthy, I think, to go, where, where am I gifted? Now, okay, only, oh, it's already 8.18. I wanted to talk about the weird gifts. Um, so here are, the, here are the ones that are like most commonly misunderstood and I think most commonly abused today. Um, prophecy, uh, speaking in tongues, and words of knowledge, right? Usually those three are kind of um, ones that you see abused. So uh, I think oftentimes, here's how it's taught. Uh, let's do speaking in tongues. Uh, I'm sure, has anyone been to a place or seen a video where it's kind of like, let's all speak in tongues at the same time, and then it's just, it just sounds like that, right? It's just kind of not English or any language. It's just kind of whatever, right? Um, and it's, it's taught as, well, speaking in tongues is just kind of this mysterious heavenly language that no one knows. Um, I, I think that's actually a misunderstanding of the Bible um, for a couple of different reasons. I think speaking in tongues, the, the word literally is glossa in Greek, and glossa is always used to describe a known language. It's never just babbling. It's, it's a language that is known. And even in Acts chapter 2, when you, hear, when you see the first time they spoke in tongues, um, it was no languages. Because the crowd of people said, how do they know our language? Right? So, you know, the, the disciples got up and they were speaking in tongues, but it was, this is my paraphrase, you know, Chinese and Arabic. And, blah, 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 and people are hearing the gospel in their language and they're going, how do these Jewish people know Chinese or whatever, right? Uh, so it is... In that case, it was known languages. And then when you read 1 Corinthians 14, verses 27 and 28, it gives us a really clear picture. Paul is describing if speaking in tongues takes place. It says, if any speak in a tongue, let there only be two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let him keep silent and speak to himself and to God. So Paul says, right, so if you see uh, someone get up and say, hey, let's all speak in tongues at the same time. They are sinning. Paul says, don't do that. <laughs> he says, if you're going to speak in tongues, do two, maybe three, one at a time, and someone has to interpret it. And he says, if no one can interpret it, then just be quiet, right? So my understanding of tongues is that God gives certain people uh, and possibly at certain times, to speak in a language that they do not know, that then is interpreted by someone to edify the church, right? So, 
For instance, when I was a kid, uh, a missionary came to our church, and then she was this woman who uh, was a missionary in China, and she shared this story that um, she got invited to this event, and she was asked to speak. And so she kind of got up, and she didn't realize that no one in the crowd spoke English. So she just got up and she started sharing her testimony and her story about how God had saved her and blah, blah, blah. And she was just in her mind, talking like I'm talking, just talking in English. This is what Jesus has done for me. Believe the gospel, blah, blah, blah. And then afterwards, someone came up to her and said, how do you know Mandarin? You have not lived here very long. And she went, I don't know Mandarin. I was speaking English. And they said, no, you were speaking Mandarin. And everyone in the building understood you. And she went, that's crazy, right? I think that is an example, possibly, of how God gave her the gift of speaking in a language that she doesn't know. Um, I think what took place in the early church was someone would have, have a, a message and stand up and speak in a language they didn't know, and then someone had the gift of interpretation, and they said, oh, this is what he's saying, let me, let me interpret for you, and then it blessed and it edified the church. So I, I think, unfortunately, um, Speaking in tongues today has just become kind of uh, mayhem, if you think about it. like It's seen as like, one, people say, what well, it's an evidence that you have the Holy Spirit, which I don't believe it is. And then it's just become kind of this chaotic thing, where it's just like, let's all do it at the same time. Um, I went, my, my friend went to an event where they were teaching him how to speak in tongues. Well, just say nonsense and let your mind wander, and then God will tell you what to say. And it's kind of like, I just don't see any of that in the Bible. Right? Because what, what is a spiritual gift? It's to build up and edify the church. And if you're just speaking something that no one knows, then you're, not, you're just causing chaos. You're not building up the church. Um, does that make sense? I, I think, here's one more example. I think your sister, Carrie Jo, has the gift of tongues because she learned how to speak Arabic in months. In months. And she speaks it fluently. And you go, normal human beings can't do that. Like, that is, that's miraculous, right? And so I think God has gifted her with the gift of languages to know, I can now go and share the gospel with Arabic people because I speak the language fluently in four months. It's like, that's miraculous, right? So uh, I think my opinion is that that's what the gift of tongues is. I don't know, thoughts are... No, not to add in too much again, but it also makes sense that that would be it because it reverses what happened at Babel. Totally. It doesn't just become something random. God spreads the people over and says, never again, right? Yeah, now you won't understand each other. What, what, what would be impossible with, with this people, right? So now you won't understand each other, and then when God draws near to us, and he, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, and then he gives the gifts of tongues so that we can be unified together for one purpose again, which is to spread yeah. the gospel... It makes sense. It's not just a random thing. Yeah. It's like the, the language thing at Babel is a barrier to be unified. And yeah. then God is unifying the church. Yeah. yeah, and even Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, a, a little bit before, he says, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Yeah. He says, if the whole church comes together and you all speak in tongues, and an unbeliever enters, they'll say, you're not in your minds. But yeah, that's exactly what happens. But can you imagine if an unbeliever comes to the assembly and someone stands up and speaks in Chinese, who's not Chinese, and then someone stands up and says, I know what we said. Let me explain it to you. They would go, whoa, that's crazy. God must be real, right? So uh, it's meant uh, to draw unbelievers, and it's meant to build up 
the church. I don't know, other thoughts? I know it's already like, you got that, A25. <laughs> Just quickly, I don't disagree with anything you guys are saying. I think those are all part of my understanding as well of what this, the gift of tongues is. But there seems to be a little more to it in the sense that, first of all, the interpretation of tongues is a spiritual gift. Mm -hmm. So, knowing the language naturally isn't a spiritual gift. Sure. So there's something different there with the interpretation of it. Um, also, in, in 1 Corinthians 13, 1, he talks about speaking in tongues of men and of angels. Yeah. So, an angelic tongue, tongue would not necessarily be one, or probably wouldn't be one that men would know. Yeah, it could be. There's something different there as well. Um, verse 2 of chapter 14, For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands. Mm -hmm. Apart from, of course, the interpretation of that tongue. So there mm -hmm. seem to be some tongues that no man would understand. There, there, it just seems to me like it's a little too neat to, to say that tongues are only ever a known language. Mm -hmm. Because, for instance, in... Uh, and maybe that's why we don't have tongues expressed in in this church. But you know, to have to need an interpretation, if God's going to speak something to a group of people who speak a certain language, why would He speak in a different language and then have an interpreter? Right? There's yeah. I think one maybe is that that it's a sign that it is yeah. God because people go whoa like. Because, I mean, God, in Acts 2, God could have just got their native speakers to go share the gospel. Yeah. But I think they went, whoa, this is God, because how do these guys know my... So maybe that's something to do with it. Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I, I've heard lots, like, there's a few people in our church that have come and talked to me and said, you know, I speak in tongues privately, and I don't know what I'm saying, and it really is edifying to me. And I just kind of went, okay, interesting. Um, I think the, the first Corinthians 13, I think Paul, he's maybe not necessarily saying that there are tongues of men and tongues of angels. He's using a rhetorical idea to say, maybe you could speak in a hundred million languages, and if you don't have love, then it means nothing. So, you could argue that, is he actually saying that there are tongues of angels, or is he just using it as an example? Maybe, I don't know. Like, So there is some mystery to it, like... But I, I think, um, and that's I guess what I'm trying to say too is if we if we just say well sometimes God gives you something to say to people in a language you don't understand that's it hmm. that's no mystery there sure but, but there seems to be more of a mystery than just that that small yeah 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 I think too um, it's that cautious like middle ground because we go well if it's not crazy and then it can't be the Holy Spirit I'm like well there's lots of gifts that aren't crazy <laughs> so I think it's like this caution of like well it has to be crazy and miraculous really quickly I know it's already 830 um, I wanted to talk about words of knowledge and words of wisdom um, I think how, how it's often uh, taught, and it's actually interesting, it's only mentioned once in the entire Bible, 1 Corinthians 12, 8, uh, and it's nowhere else in the Bible, and it's, it's interesting, when you read church history, it's never mentioned again in all of church history. Not that that's the Bible, right? I'm, not, I'm just saying it's interesting. And I've heard it explained that, well, a word of, of knowledge is when it's kind of like 
Uh, if you know like what a psychic does, like a cold reading of a room, and they would say, a word of knowledge is me going like, Corland, uh, God's telling me that when you were six, you were in this bad bike accident, and blah, 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 blah. I may have actually been. <laughs> <laughs> You're my <laughs> But it's, it's often portrayed as almost this kind of psychic reading of people. Like, I'm gonna, I know things about you that, and I've never met you before. Like, I don't know if you've seen videos, but often it's like, you know, oh, your name is Tyler, and you lived on this street as a kid. And you're like, oh, how did you know that? So, uh, here's what's interesting. Words of wisdom and words of knowledge. The word uh, for word is logos. It's just your speaking. The word for wisdom, like a word of wisdom, it just means uh, insight and intelligence. And the word for knowledge is gnosis, which just means knowledge and wisdom. So I think, again, there's this concept because we, I think sometimes we hear like words of knowledge and words of wisdom. It has to be crazy spectacular. I, I think a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom is someone who is gifted with wisdom and knowledge. And they have words of wisdom and words of knowledge for you. Like, again, I don't want to like pop the crazy miraculous bubble, but for instance, like there's times in my life when I have needed some wisdom and knowledge and I've gone to a specific person that I go, you just seem really gifted in knowing what to do. And I think they would have the gift of wisdom and knowledge. And they've given me words of wisdom and words of knowledge and it's really helped me. So, so I think that's more what Paul is talking about. I, I don't see it ever in the Bible as like, I don't think the disciples ever went into a room in a gathering and said, okay, someone here has a red shirt and their back is sore. Anybody? And they're like, whoa, it's me. You don't see that kind of activity. Um, again, I'm not saying that the Spirit doesn't do miraculous things. He totally does. But I think sometimes it's like we swing so far where uh, I think words of wisdom and words of knowledge are just people who are wise and knowledgeable. And you're like, help me out. I need help. I need advice. And you would go to them. And that, that sounds weird to me. When I read it, I'm like, wait, so it's just someone who understands quantum mechanics. <laughs> no, that's not quite. But like, so, uh, yeah, you might, like, I can think of a few people in my life where if I was like, man, I got like a very <coughs> decision to make, or I'm in a jam where I'm like, I just do not know what to do. I call them because I'm like, you, you've given me words of knowledge before. Please help me. Like, give me something. And it's, and it's the ability to just, they know exactly what to say into that situation where you go, man, yeah, that's exactly what I needed to hear. Thank you. And I think that's a spiritual gift that God gives people. So, I mean, we could go on and on. Like, it's already 32. We could talk about all sorts of gifts, and, and maybe we'll have to a little bit next week at the start. But um, bottom line is, I think it's amazing that, that God has given us the Holy Spirit and that he gives us all of these different types of gifts. That when you see a church work together with all of these different types of people, I mean, it's just so, it's fruitful ministry and you see the church growing, being edified. I think it's just amazing how God orchestrates that. So let me pray and then if you have questions after, we can chat more, but I know the youth are gonna go upstairs, right, Tom? Yeah. Uh, so, Father, thank you for tonight. I know it was a lot of info, and there was stuff that I wanted to cover that we didn't quite get to, but that's okay. Um, I just
pray that what we talked about would be uh, encouraging and edifying to us, that it would, uh, yeah, give us confidence as we follow you, Jesus, that we have the Holy Spirit living in us, um, that you've given us gifts, that we can serve you, God, and use our gifts for you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you empower us, that you purify us, that you reveal uh, things to us through God's word, and that you unify us as believers. Um, we just praise you and worship you, Spirit. Thank you for who you are. And just thank you for tonight, and I just pray that it would be beneficial to us, and just pray this in your name. Amen.